The metamorphosis of a butterfly is a wondrous expression of God's creativity. When a butterfly egg hatches, its occupant isn't the majestic flying creature we know and admire. No, it's a slow and clumsy caterpillar, also called a larva. The larva has big dreams, though, and to achieve them, he has to eat. And eat. And eat. There's not a lot of variety in his diet, either. A larva can't really travel very far, so he typically consumes the leaves where he hatched. As he matures, the larva sheds his exoskeleton, continuing to gobble greens and expanding through several skins, preparing for the hibernation stage known as a chrysalis. On the surface, things are rather quiet, but beneath the skin, the caterpillar is undergoing an amazing transformation. All that earlier gluttony is now paying off. The nutrients are serving as fuel for persistent growth. Like the Incredible Hulk busting through his shirt, the full-grown butterfly flexes against the shell of the chrysalis, cracking it open. A few seconds of furious shaking helps him shed the remnants of the pupa. He flaps some more, pumping blood into his wings. The instinctive process takes only a few hours, and when it's all done, the butterfly will leave the comfort of his leaf and take to the sky, enjoying the wondrous adventure of flight. Well, good morning, and thank you for being here with us today. If you're hanging out in the chapel, it is great to see you. If you're hanging out on the terrace, well, I can't see you from here, but it's great to have you with us as well. You know, the song that the band sang just a minute ago talked about the pressure and the weight that we can sometimes feel in life, but how it might actually be helping us form into diamonds. And one of the things that has hit me the most, probably over the last few months, as I've had conversations with different guys and gals, is that as the pressure of life and everything that's been changing this year has gone on, one of the things that seems to bear the most of that pressure is our home life, our family relationships, and even our marriages. And we would love to help with that, to offer you some encouragement, especially for you guys. So you've heard us talk about authentic manhood a couple times in the last few weeks, but it's actually authentic manhood with Ken Kington, and Ken is here today. So Ken, would you come on up? <laughs> I've told them in the last couple of weeks why I'm excited about it, but would you just share for us a little bit of what would I expect if I showed up and why you're excited for it? Oh, absolutely. Well, uh, if, if you're a man, let me just tell you that we've done several of these series, but it, it's, it's one of those, well, let me just, let me put it in today's terms, and that is, uh, how many of you have heard of the term social distancing? Have you heard that? Obviously, Maybe. if you've been around, yeah. <laughs> um, I heard a phrase this past week, which is incredible. They said, you know what? We're not going to social distance anymore. We're going to physical distance to keep safe, but we need to be socially engaged. Mm. And I thought, that's it. Well, that's probably the biggest one I'm excited about is it be able to engage with other men in person or online, in Zoom or whatever, but being yeah. able to engage. And uh, if, the, if there's the one area that I'm super excited about, it's marriage. I've been married 25 years now, and I'm just saying that God come, gives us a command every now and then that he knows we can't keep. And uh, he created this amazing, uh, beautiful, illogical, emotional creature called a wife. And then he says, live with her in an understanding way. And he knew that we could not do that. And this material is going to be a time to sit down with some other guys around a table. You can talk, you don't have to, but just to have a time to socially engage 
and and be able to go, okay, Lord, what's the truth? We'll talk about it. What's a principle? We'll talk about it. And I guarantee you, every week we walk away going, wow, I'm better equipped. I feel a little more transformed to to who I was meant to be as a husband and a father. So yeah. it's just, it's going to be an incredible time. Um, night guys, those who are more night people, Sunday nights at 8. Uh, Monday mornings at 6.09 if you're a morning person. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's going to be about an hour and 15 minutes. And it's just... It's one of the richest times of my week. So if they've never done it before, or if you've done it a bunch, sign up and be a part because it is yeah. going to be a blast. But that transformation, that's the that's the part I'm most excited about. Definitely. And we're actually going to be hanging out. If you come here to the building, we're actually going to be out in the tent. So if you haven't got a chance to see that, if you're sitting in the chapel right now, you maybe just walk out there on your way. Because um, I know a lot of people, when they first picture it, it sounds like, you know, Boy Scouts and camping kind of tent. But it is like <laughs> really nice, like wedding kind of yeah. tent. So. Um, we also are going to have an online version if that's um, easier for you or in case you got to miss a week. Because I know one of the things that's great about this is it's six weeks long. But if you miss a week, that way you can kind of stay caught up as opposed to like sometimes I feel like I missed a week. Like, I don't know, maybe I don't even come back. So right, no. jump in. Would love for you to check it out. And can we just give Ken a thanks for being okay, with us today? Absolutely. Ken is a lot of fun. I absolutely, every time I've been to one of these, every week I bring home some little helpful fact and some new joke that I learned from Ken or some funny story that I'm going to try to steal and pretend it was my hilarious experience, you know, but a lot of fun to be there. So we'd love to have you with us because he's right that that kind of transformation that we want to see for marriages, for families and friendships, that's what we're talking about in this metamorphosis series, you know, that kind of change. And, you know, thinking about diamonds, for example, you hold up a piece of coal and a diamond. If you didn't already know, you would never think that this becomes this. That video with the caterpillar becoming a butterfly. If you didn't already know how that biology worked, you would never think that this caterpillar becomes a butterfly like that. And the caterpillar's whole job is essentially to prepare for change, to prepare for that kind of transformation And so as we talk about that today, as we think about change and renewal and metamorphosis, and what does that look like for us, you've got to understand, the caterpillar's job is to eat, and eat, and eat, right? You've probably read the book, The Very Hungry Caterpillar. That's like the whole book. (laughs) It becomes very important, what is the caterpillar chewing on? as it prepares to become what it was always meant to be. So roll with me on this. What if our lives, your life, my life, what if your entire life here on earth was actually something more like the caterpillar phase? What if this is just a blip on the radar, a time where God can use the challenges of life, even the suffering of life, the things that change when we don't want them to, that create this kind of pressure, what if he's using all of that to shape you into what you are always meant to be? You know, the Bible actually says something just like that for us. It comes in a letter from a man named Paul. Now, Paul was a Christ follower, which is basically just a way of saying that he had decided he believed what the Bible says about Jesus, he believed who Jesus was, and he wanted Jesus to be in charge of his life. But now he's writing to a group of his friends who are really struggling with what's going on around them. And they are followers of Christ too, and yet life continues to be difficult. He actually describes them this way. He says that they are hard-pressed, perplexed, persecuted, 
and struck down, yet not destroyed. And so he's going to offer them some new things. But before he gets there, he also tells them, it's not as if Paul is a guy sitting in an ivory tower just thinking high thoughts about God and sorry about your, you know, minuscule existence, suffering is hard, hashtag deal with it. In fact, later in the same letter, he describes his own suffering. That Saul had five times been beaten with whips, 39 times. So, you know, you can do that math. Three times he'd been shipwrecked. He'd spent a day in the open ocean, a day and a night. He'd been beaten. He had been stoned, which means they throw rocks at you to literally crush you to the point that they thought he was dead and threw his corpse outside the city for a false accusation. Paul had faced this not only from enemies, he'd faced it from friends who had betrayed him. He had been through incredible suffering in his life And he knew how easy it is for us. He knew how easy it was for his friends when those things happen to get fixated on those things. All day long to chew on what's not going right, what's hurting, what I don't like about it, and to feel like this will never change. So Paul, I think for his friends, and for me, and for you, wants to help you change what you chew on. Change what you chew on. That if we chew on what is negative, painful, or hurtful, it actually just buries us deeper. But what if we could change what we chew on? So this is what he writes to them. This is a letter called 2 Corinthians, because his friends lived in Corinth. And it's the second time he wrote to them. And in verse 16 of chapter 4, he says, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Now, listen to what he's offering them here. Like that he knows there are things around us that feel like they're perishing. Another translation for that is wasting away. That the stuff around us can go wrong and at best it just doesn't last. But that there's an inward work that God actually wants to do. That inwardly we can be renewed, growing, actually improving, even as things around us feel like they're collapsing. And that it happens day by day. That's kind of that picture of the caterpillar, right? Every day in that phase, it's just eating and chewing and chewing. Ken actually mentioned to me earlier, they have a tree in their backyard. This is one of those stories I'm stealing. Remember I mentioned that? (laughs) They got a tree in their backyard that every other year gets so swarmed with hundreds of caterpillars, they eat the entire tree in one season. Because that's the caterpillar's job. Day by day, to be chewing on the right things to become what it's always meant to be. Now, we know that the outward man is perishing, right? Fancy way of saying, we're all going to die someday. Cold reality, right? Harsh. We don't like it. But we know that our bodies don't last. In fact, I was hanging out with the band backstage a couple weeks ago because I have like an all-access pass. So if you want to get connected, you want to meet the band, talk to me. And like, guys, anywhere from 25 to 60, we're all complaining about everything that hurts and my hair is falling out and I'm trying to fake it a little bit, like doing this thing, you know, but it's wasting away. Why does my knee hurt when I didn't even injure it? And we spend a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of energy trying to make it last as long as possible, but we know it doesn't last forever. Like That's obvious to us, right? And yet it's so easy to stare at the here and now and just what's right in front of us that we forget that there may actually be more to it than just this caterpillar phase. 
So if we're going to renew our thoughts, renew the things we chew on day by day, I want to own that there's a little bit of that that can sound like the power of positive thinking. To chew on renewed thoughts day by day. That's what Paul is at offering to his friends. But there's a key difference here for Paul. See, the power of positive thinking, a lot of us slip into it without even realizing it. We think, you just got to stay positive because, you know, the world is 10% what happens and 90% how I react to it. And but it goes so far as to say that, that it's actually my job to make things go well by thinking positively about it. And if things don't go well, I didn't think positively hard enough. So there are people who actually take it to that extreme. But maybe you felt this a little bit because he says that we don't lose heart when we're perishing. Like, hey, I know know it feels like you're dying, but hey, don't lose heart. Ah, It's got to be deeper than that. Just think about 2020 and all the things that have changed. And, And I know there's times where I've lost heart, where things feel hopeless or frustrating or like they just keep falling further down. And I catch myself doing stuff like this. Well... As long as the numbers don't go any higher. As long as it blows over by summer. Well, as long as maybe if they come up with a vaccine. You just got to stay positive, you know? What if the numbers did get higher? What if it doesn't blow over by summer? What if I don't get to go on my vacation and they don't come up with a vaccine? What if it does turn out it's a hoax? Or what if it turns out it wasn't? What? All of that stuff is shifting all the time. And we dig for facts so that we're not giving in to fear. And yet, even if all of that stuff kind of resolved itself and we really did go back to normal, something else in your life is going to change. I realized I was constantly putting my hope in things I don't actually control, feeling like I control the positivity of it all. Well, so what's the answer for this? Well, for Paul, the answer is God. That it's not just positive thinking, but that there is actually an inward work that God wants to do to help renew us. That God can offer us something positive to chew on that will not change because God does not change. So think about it this way. From Paul's perspective, if God is not real, then all there is for us is to live, suffer, or maybe not, or sometimes we do and sometimes we feel better die and decompose. I know that's brutal. But that's the reality that Paul is seeing here is is, is that if there is no God, if there's no heaven or hell or afterlife or eternity or any of this stuff, then all we have is this caterpillar body that is just wasting away and nice dreams about if only I could fly. (laughs) In fact, I actually brought one of my favorite kids books with me because I'll bet you almost everyone in here has probably read The Very Hungry Caterpillar. So I am not going to read you the very hungry caterpillar. I'm going to read you the crunching, munching caterpillar. (laughs) Now, I'm going to have to summarize part of it. I'll read you the whole thing later if you want to. But here's what I love about this book. There's a lot of that same mentality for the caterpillar here. So it starts out, it says that the caterpillar was always hungry. For weeks, he crunched and munched his way through the fresh, juicy leaves of a blackberry bush. One day... Caterpillar was about to crunch into another leaf when bzzz, Bumblebee landed beside him. Wow, said Caterpillar. How did you get here? Simple, said Bumblebee. I have wings. Look, 
Oh, I'd like some of those, said Caterpillar. Bumblebee flew up into the air and buzzed busily from flower to flower. I'd love to fly like that, said Caterpillar. Well, you can't, said Bumblebee. I've got wings and you've got legs. Your legs are for walking. I guess so, sighed Caterpillar. Zoom! Bumblebee flew off to the next bush. Watching Bumblebee fly had made Caterpillar very hungry, so he crunched and he munched until it was time for bed. Now as the book goes on, he meets birds, he meets a dragonfly, he keeps meeting all of these flying creatures... But if this is all there is for him, then he's the caterpillar who's just going to eat a bunch of stuff and die. (laughs) And in fact, he starts to dream about what it would be like to fly. But if the power of positive thinking is all that there is, he can dream as much as he wants. He's never going to fly. But if he has an inward transformation, if he goes through metamorphosis, well, you and I know where that story ends up. See, that's what Paul wants to offer us. Because what if God is real? What if there is a heaven and a hell? What if I want to go to the good one? Then how I, and what if how I get there is through being a good person? Then none of us get there. Because none of us live up to God's perfect standard. I mean, I don't even live up to my own standard or my spouse's standard or my parents' standard, let alone God's perfect standard. But what if God is real and he loves you? Loves you. Wants a relationship with you. So much. That he came to earth. To live a caterpillar life just like you. That he actually came to earth. So he could suffer the way that you have suffered. Ways that maybe you can think of right now. That that I don't know and couldn't imagine. That he could feel pain. That he would know betrayal. Betrayal. That he would see disease. That he would even die. To pay the penalty. So you can get out of eternity's jail. And be something beautiful with him forever. That's Jesus. Now whoa. (laughs) I know that's like a, a huge claim to make. And maybe you're not surprised to hear it at a place called Horizon Community Church. But there's a reason that I believe that claim. I think there's something in us that longs for there to be more than this life. And I think there's something in us that needs for there to be more than the power of positive thinking. Because otherwise, everything rests on me. To keep my family from pain and myself from pain and people I care about from pain and from things going wrong. Then everything rests on me and my ability to just like manifest it into existence. And things around me are constantly changing. But if God is who he says he is, if the main message of the Bible is what it says it is, if Jesus was really here because he loves you, there's actually a place in this book that says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If what I chew on comes from him, then it's no longer on me. I lean into the renewal that God wants to do in my life. In fact, the next thing that Paul writes to his friends in verse 17 is that our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. You see, just like the caterpillar must 
change what it chews on and, and chew on renewed thoughts day by day, just like caterpillars, we must live between the momentary and the permanent. In that tension between what is temporary, what is here and now, see, taste, touch, and what is permanent. Now for the caterpillar, that's as simple as understanding its life phases. It begins as an egg, but it becomes a caterpillar. Eventually, depending on which kind of critter it is, a chrysalis or a cocoon, before it turns into a butterfly. And so you look at that as like, oh, well, yeah, caterpillar is only temporary. But that's where I'm saying, what if this life is the caterpillar phase? And it feels like this is all there is because I got to deal with this like today. But what if there's something more permanent that is still to come? Now watch how Paul breaks this down. I want to actually look at the same verse again. Because when you go into history and you want to study rhetoricians, like people that really know how to craft a language, I mean, you're talking Plato, you're talking Shakespeare, and people study Paul because of the way that he just does this kind of stuff. So check this out. He he told them that our light affliction is momentary, but there's an eternal weight of glory. So right away you see the contrast between the momentary and the eternal, the temporary and the permanent. But did you notice what he calls momentary? Light affliction. But that word affliction means crushing weight. To be pressed and to be pressured. This is like, just a flesh wound kind of thing. Yeah, it's, it's a lightweight crushing weight. And what is he saying here? He's not saying that it's like, oh, these are kind of those lightweight crushing weights like you had a bad day or one test didn't go so well, right? No, he's saying, you are pressed, you are afflicted, you are crushed, you are discouraged. Remember the friends that he's writing to and what he's been through himself. He's saying that the worst you've been through, the worst you can think of is lightweight compared to the eternal weight of glory. Now, there's another play on words here because the word we get glory from actually means heavy, weighty, worthy. That's why we use the word glory to describe God, because Paul would tell you that there is nothing weightier or more worthy than the presence of God. So he says, I know what's happening here, but come with me on this, that it's temporary. It doesn't last, even if it lasts the entire caterpillar phase, because there's something eternal There's something beyond this that you were created for. Something beyond this where you are becoming what you were always meant to be that outweighs all of it. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? It's the kind of thing that that when I read the Bible and and when I struggle through some of my questions and when I explore these things, I want to know, is this real? That's the kind of thing that when I hear it, I say, I would want that to be true. I would want that to be true. You know, there's a guy named John Feinberg, and John is a world-class theologian. So he's a guy who spends all day, every day, thinking about who God is, what God is like, writing articles, publishing books, speaking on a global stage. Um, and he also got uh, a teaching position at one of the planet's most prestigious theological schools. Awesome. Way to go, John Feinberg, right? What what a way to spend your life, I guess. Here's what's really interesting about John's story. There was a moment where John was already successful, already had all this stuff in place and his teaching position, when they found out that his wife has something called Huntington's chorea, 
Now, that's a progressive neurodegenerative disorder that leads not only to the loss of all bodily, voluntary bodily movement, but also to memory loss, to depression, to various forms of dementia, including hallucinations and paranoia. They also found out that because it's genetic, it was a 50-50 shot that their kids have it too, and that their kids could pass it on to their grandkids. Now, if there's ever a guy who should know all like the textbook answers about how God thinks about suffering and how God understands our suffering and how God comforts us in our suffering, it's John Feinberg. But as I was reading an interview, he said, I had all these intellectual answers, but none of them made any difference in how I felt. It felt like my entire family was under this cloud of doom, like God had somehow misled me, even tricked me. I gotta tell you, it is very different to read an article, read a book, read an interview with John Feinberg. But John was actually one of my professors when I attended that graduate school. It's really different to listen to John on a Thursday, describe why he missed class on Tuesday, because his wife had a particularly bad episode. Couldn't remember who she was, couldn't remember who John was, lashed out at him physically until ultimately she lost control of her body and they end up in the ER. John and his wife and his family, they are people who know suffering. And when I hear stories like that, I think, that is the kind of thing, how would I not chew on that every day? When that constant cloud is over the family. And as different as it was to sit in class with him, I can tell you it's, it's very different to sit in the foyer with him after class on the couches they had in the hallway and have John ask me, so how are you doing? Um, I think I should say fine. I'm doing fine, <laughs> right? After what you just went through, I'm, I'll be fine. But to have him press because he really cared. Because your circumstance may be different. But there are things that are a struggle for you too. Trying to get through graduate school, young married, you know, how's that going? How's your relationship? How are you balancing time with your wife? And what he realized was that he kind of found this balance in the tension between the temporary and the permanent, between the momentary and the eternal, that with the gentleness in his voice, the kindness in his smile, he actually became closer to his God because it made him realize I can't only live for this life because there's stuff that goes wrong in this life, but God's leading me somewhere greater. It made him actually care more about people around him because he began to understand their suffering, even if it was different than his, and that he wanted to use his life to help other people understand the God who doesn't just hand us a book of rules, but wants to get to know us, wants to bring us to an eternity where he can spend time with us forever. Now, again, that's another big claim to make. I, I don't know how you process eternity. I had one of my kids recently say to me, um, I wish eternity didn't exist because it's too hard to understand. I thought, that's exactly what I said when I was first trying to process what does God really mean by eternity? It's like, I think, and if I think, nope, there's always an end in my mind. Things start, things end. What is eternity? Like, I love asking those kinds of questions. It's one of the things I love about being at Horizon. And, and when I sit down with groups of guys, whether it's authentic manhood or other studies that I'm doing, always asking those questions. Because to me, it doesn't do any good to go home and then lay in bed at night awake and think, what in the world? I should have asked while I was there, you know? I love those questions. 
Because for me, part of what helps me understand eternity is that if it's not there, then all there is for John and his wife is for her to have a horrible life and then die. For her to have pain for years and then at least it's over. How does that sound to you? Like, if that's all there is, then when we think about 2020, it's just stuff that happens. And it stinks for everybody and, oh well, I, I guess it'll all be over someday or, or will be over. I don't know. How does it sound to you? That doesn't hit me right. Like, there's something in me, I think there's something in all of us that longs for there to be more than that. That longs for there to be more than this life. Because this life is meaningful. It's not to say that this life doesn't matter. The relationships are meaningful. What we chew on in this life is meaningful. And God wants to use that to reshape us into something that is going to last forever. In fact, the next thing that, that Paul says is that while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary but the things which are not seen are eternal. So let's come back to our crunching, munching caterpillar for a moment. You'll, you'll have to check it out or you can come look at it afterwards. I'm skipping to the last page, second to last page. Because now this is after he's already formed his chrysalis. He's waking up. And when caterpillar woke up, he felt the warmth of the spring sun. He was stiff from his long sleep, but he did not feel very hungry anymore. A breeze lifted Caterpillar into the air. Caterpillar was no longer short and plump. He had wings. Great big, wonderful butterfly wings. Wow, he said. I'm flying. I'm really flying. Now here's one more thing I want you to catch about this Caterpillar. You see, for him... Chewing on the right thing is not just a matter of a change in behavior. A lot of times we approach the Bible that way, as if it's a big book of rules, and if I change my behavior, then I'll get the blessing, and then God will be happy with me. Now, think about that for a caterpillar. What if the message you gave a caterpillar was, you got to try flapping? That's the whole point, right? He doesn't have wings. He's a caterpillar. He can't flap. How's he even going to get there? Maybe if you tie some on him, he doesn't have the muscles for it flap harder it's not going to work not unless he first undergoes the transformation not unless first from the inside out he is reshaped into something brand new otherwise every attempt he makes at trying to act more like something that flies falls flat without an actual core identity change in fact paul offers us that same thing about a page later in the same letter he says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, there's a lot that he's saying there, but I want you to key in on this little phrase, in Christ. That is essentially Paul's shorthand for somebody who has decided, I believe that Jesus is God, who died to take my punishment so that I could be changed into something new and live with him forever. That's basically Paul's shorthand way of saying, a person who's decided, I accept his forgiveness, I want him in charge of my life. That's what it means to be in Christ. 
like a stronghold, like a refuge that instead of trying to find my safety in my health or in my career or whatever else it is, in my relationships or in my day-to-day, I find it in Christ. And he's actually telling us that like the caterpillar who becomes a butterfly, if you make that choice, then God actually renews you inwardly and continues that process until he brings you home when you have become what you're always meant to be. And it's not a work that you do on yourself. It's a work that he wants to do in you. And so as kind of a, a key takeaway for us today, I thought maybe even just that last verse gives us something. Could we find something in us to change? One old thing to spit out, not to chew on anymore. One renewed thing to chew on instead. And, and I want to just own here that like some of this can be just really good advice standing on its own. That if you, if you sit around thinking negative thoughts all the time, there are literally chemical and biological things that happen to you that make it feel worse, even if the things around you don't actually get worse. And that staying positive, thinking of the bright side of things, looking for hopeful things, you know, releases different chemical things that can be beneficial for you. And so there's something really practical. That's, what we're about to say, you could just, you could go home and do this and you'll feel a little better and that's, that's fine. But I'd encourage you at least to explore this idea that Paul is presenting That that has a limit because of the fact that we don't control the things around us. Things will always change. And that that focuses us almost too much on only the caterpillar phase. But then in Christ, the things we spit out and the things that are renewed could last forever. So you actually got in your program today, if you got one on the way in, there are little leaves stuck in there. They're actually sticky notes so that you could write... Maybe it is a behavior thing, a, an old behavior, a broken thing, something I know is, is not helping me and I've wanted to get rid of that you want to exchange for something new to chew on. You know, maybe it's an inward thing that's something you're learning about God or learning about yourself. I got just a couple examples here. You know, to be able to spit out the old thinking that things will never change and instead chew on the renewed thing that challenges are temporary, but God's love is eternal. Maybe you just... Stick that on the mirror, on the TV. To spit out that I'll never get over this anger and instead chew on the renewed thought that I can forgive because God forgave me. Maybe it's to spit out that my career is who I am. I've worked so hard for this. And instead chew on the renewed thought that I can find my identity in Christ. Maybe it's to spit out the thought that if I'm healthy, I'm happy. And remember... That outwardly, we're perishing, slowly or quickly, but inwardly I can be renewed. I don't know what it might be for you, but I encourage you to to take that leaf and write something down that you say, God, this is something that I want to spit out, and I want you to renew it for me. Because in just a moment, we're going to hear a song from the band. It's a song that talks about that kind of change. And while it plays, you're going to see videos of people who are being baptized. Now, that's something that we do here at Horizon And it doesn't literally, you know, wash bad things off of you. But baptism is a statement that people make who have been changed by Christ. People who have decided, I accept his forgiveness. I want him in charge of my life. And baptism is something where they dunk you under the water, representing the death that Christ died, lift you back out, representing how he rose back to life, a way that people are saying, he's changed me and I want others to know about it. 
So I'd like to pray for you, and then as we hear that song, maybe you even use that time just to write something on that leaf. Let's pray. Father, we know that there is a lot of um, change and frustration and probably even suffering represented in this room and on that terrace right now. Lord, we know that you understand all of it, that you can comfort us in all of it, that you catch our tears and you care about it. That for some of us, we just can't even think about what a mess 2020 has been. And for others, we're still hung up on 2018 or 15 or 1974. God, I pray today, even as we take this moment to hear this song, to see these videos, maybe it's even an authentic manhood. I I don't know, Lord. But we want to offer this moment to you and say, help us to spit out the things that aren't helpful for us to chew on. And would you renew us? We'll ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.